0: Hey everybody, welcome to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast where every Wednesday we'll bring you fast paced, powerful 15 or so minute episodes meant to inform, educate, and inspire around a variety of topics, including all things tech in the professional salon industry. Before I get started, a reminder that on Sundays, you can find me hosting BeautyCast Network's Mastering Beauty Podcasts, featuring brilliant guests sharing their best advice on building sustainable, successful, and satisfying careers. If you liked either of the podcasts, I hope you will consider hitting the like button or the subscribe button. Best yet, share a review. Actually, best yet, share the podcast with a with a colleague, with a friend, and uh, help others to find us. Um, I'm Gordon Miller, your podcast host. Thanks for tuning in. And today, I am going to do a part two. I think there's a third part coming uh, based on my last episode, which is about math and the context uh, around it in beauty, um, and um, as much as Many don't like to admit it. I said this last time, math is amazing. Everything in life pretty much boils down to math somehow, some way, you know, uh, atoms. There's a lot of math around that as, as an example. And and I love math because it's it just so objective when we understand it. Um, and if we don't understand it, which is really common and nothing to be ashamed of or upset about it you know our brains all work differently and that's the great thing about life because we can build a team of people around us whether it's inside our organizations or reaching out to external things but um to support whatever our weaknesses are and um yeah and but if we ignore it it can be an achilles heel and uh and with that can come all kinds of challenges all right before i dig in um let me um say two quick things i keep meaning to bring this one up i i should bring it up every single week if you are a regular podcast listener of podcasts in the larger world i I hope not just this one are you listening on a speed other than regular uh one times as it is seen on the podcast platforms i hope if you're a regular listener that you have tried speeding up a podcast um You can go to 1.25, 1.5, 1.75 double speed, which is how I like to listen to them because it creates all kinds of efficiencies. And really interestingly, our brains adjust to the change in speed. We all adjust at different um, kind of paces. Um, It took me about two weeks to get up to double speed. Um, But the reason I mention it for all you podcast lovers is... I can listen to twice as many podcasts because I've learned to listen to everything at double speed, and I learn when I listen to podcasts. It's the reason I listen to podcasts: to know what's going on in the world and learn best practices across all kinds of categories. So, speed it up is my best advice to everybody. Try it if you've not, and if you try it, and you know the voices are a little bit too annoying for you, just bring it down a notch. Give yourself a few days at that speed before you're trying to go to the next level of speed, and you'll find your happy place. Um, I have friends who love the 1.5. Again, I like the 2.0 for most podcasts. I'll also warn you, depending on who you're listening to, and kind of the, the the tone and pitch of the voice that person has normally. You know, when you go to a higher speed, some voices are a little bit more difficult to take than others, and so you know you're just going to have to adjust yourself. But that is a great podcast listening tip. I hope if you haven't tried it, you'll give it a go and, and be patient with yourself. Because trust me, you can adjust, save time, learn more. Love that. Um, a quick little, really quick little mention on uh, something around the coaching space. Um, you know, I talk about this often um, because they're an important part of the industry. They have an important place and they have a bigger place than they've ever had in the industry coming out of pandemic. So many new coaches. And so, you know, I always say to folks, you know, let the buyer beware, do your homework. If you're going to take on a coach, you know, just find out as much as you can. I was reading something that popped up yesterday um, on one of the coaching pages on Instagram, I believe it was. And they were talking about their journey, I guess. And, a big part of it and a big part of it in the conversations they have they, they made the comment when we left our corporate jobs whenever i hear that it's like the the warning bells go off or the bells go off maybe not always a warning um and say well, what does he mean by that because a lot of times when you hear people often and they they come from quote-unquote corporate jobs usually a lot of pride around that and they'll mention from time to time what those are so to me it's sort of like a hmm. If I don't know that much about that coach, if I'm considering perhaps paying attention to what they say, and I, I, I've heard that, you know, there's good stuff there and I, I want to trust what's being said, I, again, I'd look into the resume. Um, one that I've heard talk about it, you know, they kind of infer that they work for a big brand. They, I use those words in one of the interviews, but when you kind of start to reverse engineer it, you quickly figure out that actually they never did work for a big brand um, and that, you um, yeah, and that they were in a job that we don't normally think about as coaches. You know, as an example, you know, beauty school instructor um, for a short amount of time, and then left that because you know they because of negativity, and, and you know, and then you kind of follow them forward from there. And and by the way, I love beauty school instructors. They are my favorite group of people in the entire professional industry. Honestly, I spent twenty years in the school side of the industry. Love them, um, you know. But again, contextually, from a person who's saying this who is prepared to coach you um, and is giving perhaps some, a sense that they work for some big, big brand. When we think of big brands, you know, we think of L'Oreal, we think of Aveda, we think of Paul Mitchell. And if that wasn't the circumstances, which in this particular case, it wasn't, um, hmm, you have to scratch your head. Do your homework. Um, there's damage being done out there as well as great stuff, you know? So again, it's it just finding your way to the good stuff, which is one of the bigger challenges that we have in life. All right, gonna talk about math. And so coming out of pandemic, again, rising coaches, I think when we look at 2023 and and think about the math and, and also um, kind of looking at that year as an opportunity to learn, you know, what happened? Because um, it was a rough year for a lot of people. And so because of coaches, I, I, I really put a lot of the results of of last year on coaches many did really well because of coaches and i would say there's there's no studies on this i'm just watching and observing trying to figure it all out i th- i think a lot more were were harmed by coaches in some way somehow not the coaches I, no coach does something you know bad on purpose to somebody but again in, in ignorance you know sometimes can Result in problems, and there are coaches who can be ignorant. So, the push to just increase your prices, you know, there's no limit, you know, that was being said a lot. You know, that created problems for a lot of folks who listened and got blowback, lost clients. Don't retail. Um, some of the examples of people, you know, who make a lot of money, a lot of profits in their business because of the retail, and, and some people stopped retailing, and that had some implications. Um, retail has been proven to increase client retention. Some don't like to believe that for some crazy reason. It makes a lot of sense. Different conversation, you know. But again, um, so some got rid of retail and maybe their retention was hit a little bit. Hard to know. Um, the whole tipping thing that the world we're living in about tips, there's a lot of consumer pushback on just how expensive tips have gotten. And some people, rather than feel embarrassed and lowering their tip, they just go somewhere else where they can start fresh and don't have that. So that may have caused trouble. A lot of confusion from consumers, at least from what I'm hearing, about the hourly pricing change and uh, sometimes the lack of ability to communicate what's happened and the client necessarily doesn't really feel good about it. I think that's a problem in and of itself. Move away from tips that many some, I shouldn't say many, some have taken on and, and had to increase their prices significantly to, to make a difference. That has hurt some. Some didn't know how to make those changes, didn't adjust enough, and found that they had less income because they just made a bad calculation in their pricing as they moved away from tips. That was another big problem. Client shaming, I think, you know, has had a blowback onto the industry, made us look bad in the eyes of many. I'm sure some salons have lost clientele because of that. Um that's a problem. The move to independence itself was difficult in the business. A lot of people who weren't quite ready to be on their own, weren't quite ready to own a business and all that comes with it. That created a challenge. When you have challenges as a new business person, you might've lost some of the clientele you had in your previous life in a different salon. That is a problem for the industry. Lots and lots of new businesses. You know, we know that pretty much a, a set percentage of businesses who start will fail. And so if you have a lot more businesses to start, you have more businesses that fail and so when you aggregate that all together and look at a year a whole lot more businesses knew because again post pandemic we kind of had a lot of folks who wanted to open but didn't during pandemic so we had a big spike in new businesses and we had a big spike in in failures arguably um, not necessarily closing down but just not doing what they hoped they would do and Most of these are people who are moving from other circumstances where perhaps they were doing well. And so that, you know, is its own challenge. And then lastly, boundaries, you know, big, big conversation to boundary, important conversation. And I've said, you know, most folks I know who are successful in the industry, been in it for a long time, have always had sensitivity to boundaries, but big conversation and and a big one kind of pushing on people. It's like, oh, you you, 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 you need to do less. And, and the bigger conversation of, and if you do less, you'll make more, or you can make more. And some people, I guess, you know, read into that. I will make more. And that is its own challenge. So the boundaries thing, I think potentially, you know, some salons have lost clients because of that, you know, um, weren't able to move everybody off of Saturday and now they're closing on Saturday. So they may have lost some clients in the mix there. So, you know, that's an issue and all kinds of stuff, you know, kind of around that. So, uh, things to consider. Um, on the right side of the equation, those who are killing it this year and what I've been hearing for them, some live through everything I just mentioned successfully. You know, um, pick any of those categories. There are absolutely examples of success across every one of them. Those who moved away from tipping successfully and those who've increased their prices successfully, those who've implemented boundaries successfully. So absolutely examples. But I think we're we're kind of in the 80, 20 or 70, 30, which more negative than positive in these categories from what I'm observing, hearing, you know, um, you know across different categories in the industry. In terms of success, the basics, they always go back to the basics. They always work. You know? It's true of the craft and it's true of the business. So those who did well, Big time service focus in the extreme as a lot of folks are moving away from service bashing clients implementing boundaries that some clients didn't understand or maybe didn't take well it doesn't mean that that professionals didn't deserve them, but the communication wasn't there and. um, And that could um, put those who are focused on service in the extreme in a better place and and they pick up clients. Um, The. um, a thoughtful, you know, consideration of the changing of client behaviors. Clients have changed coming out of the pandemic and those who, you know, react to those positively react to those, you know, a sensitive manner, I think are winners and, and, and meeting clients where they are, meaning, you know, um, depending on, again, how you want to run your business, and who you want clients to be. But, you know, there's a lot of clients who only want to get services on, on the weekends. That doesn't mean you need to work on the weekends. But if you're trying to grow your business, is something to consider. Um, There's a lot to consider there as it relates to boundaries and and, and, uh, building a career where you can have the life that you would like to have personally, that you can not wear yourself out. And again, there's examples over the last 30, 40 years of people who have never worn themselves out, you know, in a way that's uh destroyed their careers um and yet have made great living so all stuff to consider just kind of a, a quick review all right i want to jump into independence and the math around independence because so many people have moved into this direction and it's a confusing topic i was looking at a website i'm here that it's a national website to help people find suites and they have a lot of content you know and they have a lot of information about rental um fascinating stuff in chicago if i remember right um, there were 26 sweet organizations fascinating five six years ago there was maybe two um so and i'm talking about in the city city there's more out in the suburbs. and so you know that's fascinating because that kind of turns the marketplace topsy-turvy a bit um different conversation all right so they said in their uh content as a recommendation to those looking for suites, they said that you should plan to spend no more than 30% of your total income on rent. So first off, good advice in terms of thinking about the finance and the financial picture of being an independent. And again, recommendation was 30%. Um, that, by the way, is high. We, we recommend less than that for traditional salons. but. 30% was what this said. I'm gonna go with this number for now. I'm not recommending it, but I'm saying this is what I read. I'm gonna do a little bit of math with you guys um, around that number. Um, so, and of course, if you're thinking about renting a suite, you've gotta do your budget, uh, do your, your projection of revenues. So, you know, again, work off this this model they've got in here. So, so let's say that you're working three days a week um, consistently, that's what you've chosen to do. You've moved independent in part because you wanna have some, some boundaries, you're gonna do three days. Um, and let's say that you're bringing in $500 per day in total revenue. Um, so again, somewhat random numbers, but based on watching and listening to a lot of folks, so not a crazy low number, not a crazy high number. Um, and so that would be um, three days a week, four weeks on the average month, so 12 days of work. And so that would be $6,000 per month in gross income before taxes, all right? So the 30, so in this model, 500 bucks a day, three, three days a week, um, 6K a month in gross income, I'm, I'm assuming no retail at this point, keep it simple. And let's use that 30% number. So that would mean maximum rent of 1800 bucks. So let's assume that, that you're gonna rent a suite, be 1800 bucks a month, you're gonna work three days a week. And after your $6,000, the rent is subtracted from that number, that leaves you with $4,200 for everything else, including your pay. 6,000 in, less the rent, 4,200 bucks left. Now what comes next? Okay, so I'm gonna make this simple, let's say that all of our other costs, separate from personal income, all of our other costs, I'm gonna say are $1,500 per month, including $900 in supplies, um, and that everything, from your phone to your internet, your booking service, it's all in this 1,500 bucks. And may or may not be an accurate number, but it's the one we're gonna use for this example. So now we've gotten from 6,000 less 1,800 to 4,200 less 1,500. You're now at $2,700 in gross income, right? That's what's left after your rent, all your supplies and all your extra stuff. Not leaving much cushion here, but let's just say it's 2,700 bucks. And so um, ideally, Everybody, every business, you better be saving at least five hundred bucks a month. That's a teeny tiny number, you know, really. But I'd say that should be the minimum, you know. And that's putting away, especially for an independent, that's putting away six thousand dollars a year. I think once you get to that total, you know, I would keep that going for probably two or three years. So you've got about triple that number for your kind of backup if there was ever another pandemic or something. So that twenty seven hundred minus your five hundred for savings takes you down to twenty two hundred bucks in possible. Um, income gross before taxes. Very interestingly, before that saving number, 2,700 bucks in gross. Out of our $6,000 in total income, that's 45%. 2,700 is 45% of 6,000. That is about the same as a person gets in a commission salon, typically, some are different, some are higher, some are lower. Um, The big difference, you don't have any headaches as an owner. Now, I'm not here to be a proponent for one business model over another, but I just find that to be fascinating in this example. I'm just doing the math and here's where we ended up. I can't help but observe that. All right. So now let's talk taxes. So you've got self-employed, your self-employment tax, your social security, that's 15 plus percent. Then you've got your federal and your state. state, depending on the state you live in you know, probably a high of 4%, low of zero. Some states have no state income taxes. Um, Federal runs from 22 or so, you know, upward a little bit from there. So let's say, you know, about 35% for sure. You've got to calculate in taxes. So that 2200 bucks, I'm going to take about a third of that away for taxes, payments that you've got to make and all that sort of stuff because if, if you don't make it right now, you still need to put it aside because you're gonna to have to pay it, right? So now we're down to our take-home pay, 1400 bucks, in take-home pay out of $6,000. And this is just real math, folks, just real math. Now, let's go back to tips. Tips at 15% of $6,000 in service income, that's $900. That $900, and I, I, I like to talk about this because I think it's an important and big idea that often doesn't get addressed. And that $900 on top of $1,400 takes you to $2,300 in take home. And that $900 is like, what would that be? It's 40% of your total take home. It's a lot. It's a little bit less than 40, but that's a lot. It's a lot. So keep in mind tips always. and. There should be some taxes paid on those tips. I didn't calculate that in it. I took the taxes out of the money before I got to the 1400. I will say that, but I also know that we often, I think the industry average on taxes being paid against tips is about 2%. So anyway, know that you should do that. Everybody should be paying their taxes. I think it's really important. But this is an important way to consider self-employment in particular. There's a different analysis you should be doing if you're gonna open a salon. But I think for so many who were thinking about independence, which I think pretty much everybody thinks about it from time to time, I think you've got to really again kind of back yourself into the math, think hard about it, and and you know um, make sure that it can work for you. Also, it's important that an analysis like this. If I was doing a, a business analysis, something more formal, I would always find someone to look at it with me. What am I forgetting? What am I missing? Did I calculate everything properly? Um, what could be wrong with what I'm thinking here because these are such important assumptions I'm going to change my life fundamentally I'm going to change my career based on in part all of this information so really really important that you make sure it's done correctly that you haven't missed anything and you know get somebody who's got some experience to help you with that um, a colleague, a coach, an educator, a brand representative, a, a distributor consultant, you know, Run this information past somebody, you know, so that you can, you know, get us some insights. All right, pricing. Oh my God, such a big conversation, such a big, gigantic conversation. So I went into artificial intelligence, the ChatGPT, and I'm going to do an outline from that because this definitely is is pricing could be probably a two or three part podcast as well. So I'm going to do the high level. Um, things to consider on pricing, because again, there's just so much bad information out there talking about pricing, similar with inflation. Oh my gosh, the, the inflation conversations are completely out of control. I am going to do next week's podcast all on inflation, but on pricing generally, big picture. So here's some of the things that were said, and, and I asked it you know, for a salon considering to set its prices um, for an opening, new salon, what should they be thinking about? So the bullet points are first and foremost, of course, all of your costs, because you've got to do your budget before you can, you know, really start to then think about, well, what are the prices? So, you know, hopefully you have kind of made some decisions about kind of place you want to be in rent and all those sort of things. You got to factor them all in. So do a base budget, budget with all of your costs. You have to consider your target market. Who are the clients that you hope to bring into your salon is... Are they at the high end? Is it luxury? Are they more budget conscious? Is it somewhere in the middle? Because you've got to find prices that reflect that. Again, so many people are like, oh, you can charge anything. Well, that everything needs to relate to a target market for clientele ideally. So if you want to be luxury, but you've decided to charge $20 for a haircut, as an extreme example, automatically you kind of aren't luxury. People would have perception based on price. They might leave your chair thinking luxury. They probably also think, gosh, they should charge more. So know that target market is important. Competitor pricing. There's so much conversation about don't think about your competitors. It's so wrong when you look at any, you know, information that's out there on pricing strategy. Do you copy your competitors' prices? No. Should you research the pricing of other salons in your area? Absolutely. It gives you some benchmarks. Again, it doesn't mean you have to follow them, but be educated, be aware, and know where you want to fit within that marketplace, because that goes back to marketing and branding and everything else, as well as how you think about setting your prices. Think about your service quality and differentiation. You know, big ideas like where do you want to be? What is your commitment to your customers from a quality perspective? And how loud are you going to say it? How big a part of your brand is it? And how are you different than your competitors? Because that should have an implication when you think about pricing. Location, location impacts your rent, um, but it also can influence your your pricing strategies. You know, if you're in an upscale neighborhood, that could mean something um, versus something that's not. However, you can be in a not so upscale neighborhood and have upscale prices if you brand yourself in a certain way and provide certain, you know, um, value to clients. Pricing strategy. So there are different ways to look at pricing, and you know, um, these are three as examples. So one's the cost plus model, where you set your prices based on all of your costs plus a markup. That markup depends a lot on industry, depends a lot on the kind of business that you want to open. Again, you know, are you luxury? Or are you something else? Uh, But this is a method of thinking about pricing, cost uh, plus a markup and figuring out that markup is key. Value price pricing, you know, pricing is based on perceived value to the customer and not just the cost. Customers don't think about cost. So when you're thinking about price from a client perspective and how they might react to it, yeah, what is your value proposition and what does that mean relative to pricing? And then lastly, in this example, and there's other examples I could give, but I'll stop with this one, is competitive pricing. And that is where you are considering your competitors. You might be in line with them. You might be slightly below them. You might be purposely above them. My first job in beauty, I worked for a cosmetology school in uh, Denver. And um, the owner was completely committed philosophically to always being the highest price um, school in the market from a tuition perspective and also on the clinic floor. She wanted to be number one, anybody looked at her, and they looked at price, there was just an assumption, this is pre-social media, but an assumption that most expensive, good chance they are the best. And it worked really well for her. So you can think competitively of pricing in many different ways. Again, it doesn't mean you copy, but from a strategy point of view, you can consider it. Then you've got to think about pricing structure. You know. Um, are you doing things a la carte? Are you doing bundled packages? Are you, do you do membership? Do you have tiered pricing? Um, does pricing different, differ by person, you know, based on levels of experience, all kinds of things to consider. None of them are bad. None of them are good. These are all things to consider. Psychological pricing is, is a big idea. You, you see it all the time, right? We, we, we see 999, why 999? Why not 10? <laughs> because there's been all kinds of studies that say that as soon as you pass some of the major price points, you know, $10, $100, $1,000, that's why you see 995, uh, uh, 99.95, 49.95. So there's psychology around pricing as well. And some of those things can be considered not must, but can be. Promotions and discounts, this often ties to brands. Some people are like, promotions are terrible, discounts are terrible. Um, yeah, tell that to target. And I know somebody's listening, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the target of, of beauty, a target of hair. I get it. You know, those are choices that we each have to make. Um, but there are examples in the industry of those businesses who have decided to go down that path, who have decided to go with a business model where they are lower price, where they do lots of promotions, they do lots of deals. And one company that comes to mind is did over a billion dollars in sales last year. Or so, you know, uh, to each his own, but many ways to do things bad is in the eye of the beholder, I would guess, I would say. Um, lastly, you know, regular reviews and adjustments to pricing is one of the biggest challenges the industry has always struggled with is that, you know, we we have not been good at regularly, regularly, um, thinking about pricing, adjusting pricing, doing what needs to be done to keep our pricing up with inflation because we always have inflation. Always, there's not a year that has gone by in my entire life of 60 plus years, 67 plus years. <laughs> so uh, the uh, 68, um, and anyway, there's always been inflation. I think the lowest was probably like 2%, you know, the highest was above 10, but it's always here. And so every single year we must consider the inflation that we are facing we must recognize that the value of money has changed that inflation reduces the spending power the buying power of our money and so we got to adjust our prices you know so you know we need to do that religiously you know if we if we uh want to maintain a successful business because a lot of folks establish pricing they do it well and then they forget to raise their prices and five years down the road something's not right the money's not Quite happening the way it should. And when you really look closely, sometimes you can go, wow, if you would only increase prices, you would be fine. But because you didn't, you're depending on more clients, more services to make up for your lack of price increases. And if you do price increases annually, two, three, four, five percent, depending on the year, most likely clients will barely even notice that you did anything. It's the bigger changes over time where salons get themselves into trouble. All right, I'm talking about my favorite topic. I know I've gone way over. Um, so apologies for that, I'm not looking at the clock. I think I've gone way over. No matter what, I know I'm out of time. So I am gonna wrap up here and say thank you to each and every one of you for listening. I'm beyond grateful. Um, if you like what you heard today, I encourage you to visit me over at socialbeautymakers.com. Sign up for my free e-newsletter. I got something that comes out every Monday morning for you, um, including um, links to, to to great videos articles podcasts apps you know but it's, it's short form easy to read easy to digest getting great feedback hope you will check it out i hope you also listen to me over at beautycast network mastering beauty um, our podcast there that comes out every sunday weekly conversations with brilliant pros i really proud of that so check it out and know that it's on a different platform um not that platform it's a different podcast so you've got to go find it on your favorite podcast platform it's again it's called mastering beauty once again As always, I wanna thank you so very, very much for tuning in to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast. Um, I wish you a most wonderful week. I'm Gordon Miller, and I cannot wait to share more with you again next time.